Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Calling Tau City, turn on your radio. I know we had some words last time, but that was so long ago. I got your message. It was a little harsh, you know. It's still a little hard for me to hear. Please take it slow. Welcome to Starship Sofa, part of the District of Wonders network. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. I'm tuning in to your transmissions. I'm moving, waiting to be found. And I'm building rockets. I'm pointing them to the moon. This is the Starship Sova. Everybody, welcome. Hello and welcome to show 641. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello, everyone. I hope everyone is fine and dandy. Welcome again, everybody. Yes, we are still here. They're pushing out. The farthest reaches of space and time. The they're short, yes. So today there's a bit of a quandary. The new film Tenant comes out, and it's actually out in cinemas now. I'm not sure, you know, it, where everybody is in the world who listens to it, what their state of play is with with going out, being allowed to go out with COVID, or but we can go to the cinema, so. And I'm not sure, there's nothing saying on the website that, on, on cinema websites, you know, what precautions, or mine anyways, what precautions they've got in place. But it's such a, you know, a, like a film I've been wanting to see for ages. And I'm just wondering, it would be lovely to hear from you, you know, from yourselves, you know, just drop us an email, just to say hello, starshipsover at gmail.com. Will you go and see that film at the cinema? Would you go and see it? If you, if you could, you know, if, if, say, lockdown was eased a little bit, or will you just wait till it comes out on a streaming service? This is the quandary I'm, I'm in there now. I mean, all restaurants are kind of open there now. And in England, in the UK, it's we've got this, you know, go out to kind of help, help support the local services, the local restaurants and cafes and that, and you get like a, a, a half price on a, on a Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday. It's half price, you know, so there's a saving there and every place is booked up. So it'd be interesting to know, would you just go to the cinema? That's my kind of little thing, you know, would, would you just venture out and go and see a film? What film would you go and see? Like I say, I've been waiting for this film for so long, you know what I mean? And I guess it's been ready to roll for so long as well, but with COVID, it's just, you know, it's been put back and put back. Anyway, let me know. So, enough of my ramblings. We're on to the main fiction. It is Love in the Time of Disconnect by Hayley Stone. Again, this is original to Starship Sofa. Hayley Stone is an award-winning writer, editor, and poet from California. She has published short fiction in Apex Magazine and Fireside Fiction and is the author of the weird Western cult hit Make Me No Grave, most recently a finalist in the Lamar Book Awards. I think I've got that right. 
And you can find her at, and there's a Twitter handle there, and Haley's website. Now, this story is narrated by Will Staggle. Will lives in Tuscon, Arizona, with his wife Susan and daughter Violet. He is a creative professional by day, the lead singer and the guitarist for a post-punk band called Liquid Centers by Night, and is always up for a pint at the local pub. So, the Starship Sova is very proud to present... Love in the Time of Disconnect by Haley Stone, read by Will Stagel. Marco's not invited to the courtroom in the weeks leading up to his sentencing, not to give testimony or even to spectate the proceedings. Instead, he spends his detention wandering a government-regulated instance with other kickers implicated in the conspiracy. The prison is only partially rendered, so sometimes he gets trapped in invisible walls or falls through the floor, and the wardens are constantly having to recall him and his fellow prisoners back to their spawn points. Marco doesn't mind, but it bothers his girlfriend Lorraine, who early leveled on a dedicated server before she and her family were downgraded. During their short night cycle, he hears her making noises, vivisections of speech, guttural and angry, and if he stands just right, near the back of the cell, he can glimpse through her wall, crouched near the bed, red curls trembling in front of her face. He knows the prosecution will say it was her idea, of course it was. No jury across a hundred servers would buy Marco as the grand mastermind. Like so many others, his parents had been forcefully uploaded for the public good and given the choice of raising a fortune or raising a dull, unremarkable child. They chose the fiscal option. Lorraine is the magnetic one, the leader. Her mother spent too greedily on her daughter's charisma, trying to manufacture a politician, but instead she created a church. No, a cathedral, Marco thinks, tall and stately, with such clear blue eyes they might as well be glass. Lorraine sounds close when she finally speaks, as though she's pressing herself against the wall that separates their cells. Marco? He's tempted not to reply, though he's not sure why. Finally, he does. It's good to hear your voice, Lorraine says. It's only a figure of speech. She can't really hear him. Marco's parents couldn't afford the expense of pulling from the sound archives to provide the 59 clips necessary for a script. Instead, every time he speaks, a simple chat box appears in front of whomever he's addressing. This used to make him self-conscious when he was younger, especially around the voiced clients, and then later around Lorraine, who has the low, husky voice of a famous 20th century actress. Nothing has stopped them from conversing while in prison except the giant realization that Lorraine failed, but Marco returns the pleasantry all the same. Do you think, Lorraine starts to say, cutting off? Marco assumes the censor is responsible for decapitating her sentence, predicting something illegal in her speech patterns. But then she continues after a long moment. Do you still believe me? It's not the same as asking him if he trusts her, if he still loves her. Marco answers her question with one of his own. What went wrong? I don't know, Lorraine says. They must have updated the firewalls. But I heard some kicker chapters were successful on other servers. They made it out, Marco. Right now they could be breathing real air in their lungs, squishing their toes in wet earth, holding each other close in front of a sun that sets. They're actually living. Isn't that wonderful? This is how she caught him the first time, with beautiful speeches and stories. It had to be stories, because Marco can't hold too many facts in his mind at once. 
a nasty side effect from when the administrators tried overclocking the motherboard to avoid the cost of upgrading the server. That had been a fun week. Errors rendered many locations inaccessible, and in the end a lot of clients' memories became corrupted, including Marco's. He put in a maintenance request with IT, but as usual it went ignored, and after a few years he simply gave up on the possibility of his condition improving. He wasn't happy, but he was content. Until Lorraine. She sowed interest with short, believable rumors, how people sometimes disappeared from a server only to return days later without explanation. That there was a world beyond this one, creatorless, the world of his parents, hers. Marco almost walked away when she told him they could go there one day together. But then she'd start talking about seasons, summers that appeared on the basis of the planet's rotation, flowers that grew and died, storms, babies born in blood, gasoline, the smell of it. They all sounded like miracles. Sometimes, as they laid together in bed, Marco made Lorraine describe the smell of gasoline, taking pleasure in the way her forehead pinched and thought, trying to translate an experience neither of them had ever known. Smells were expensive, after all. They weren't for people like Marco, and they were only a memory for people like Lorraine. Tactile pleasure was the only right they both shared, along with every other client. For the health and happiness of the servers, officially. Marco isn't sure of the real reason. Before Lorraine, he never thought about the reasons for things, or wondered about secret motives. Sharp, Lorraine might answer off the cuff, before remembering that pain was also behind a paywall. Later, she described it more simply. Greasy, the way pizza looks. Marco understood that description a little better, but he could tell she was frustrated. One evening, after he asked about the gasoline again, she flopped back against her pillow and blurted, Euphoric. The smell. It's euphoric. Judging by her scythe of a smile, Marco could tell the answer gave her more release than anything he'd done to her moments prior. They didn't need each other for this sort of thing, but it was nice. Sex made him feel closer to her. Usually. But as he'd stared down at her, the distance between them had felt like falling. Back in their cells, none of this matters. Or maybe all of it does. He's not sure. You didn't answer my question, Lorraine said in a whisper. Do you still believe? Shortly after his arrest, two of his and Lorraine's friends approached him, wanting to work out the kinks in their story. If they agree on where they were at the time, or claim that Lorraine manipulated them all, then maybe. Marco isn't sure what they thought they'd accomplished by lying. There's no such thing as anonymity, not since the early beta, which showed a strong correlation between anonymity and acts of indecent, even cruel behavior. Too many people turned into monsters when they thought nobody was watching. Records of the kickers' movements would be easily accessible by the court, along with data logs and surveillance of the incident in question. All of them had known that would be the case ahead of time. The plan was never not to get caught. It was simply not to still be here after it all went down. Lorraine grows more aggravated the longer the trial goes on, taking to pacing in her cell. Marco tries to reassure her that no news is good news, but they both know that's a lie. As the weeks drag on, uncertainty coupled with fear starts to turn Lorraine mean. Anytime Marco steers their conversations away from the trial to happier topics, she accuses him of being naive, stupid. Wake up, Marco, she cries, exasperated. He hears her hand slap the wall as if she's trying to push it over on top of him. 
They're going to delete us, wipe our consciousness from the server completely. Don't you get that? Aren't you the least bit afraid? Of course he's afraid, but he doesn't see how talking about it will help. Lorraine falls silent for a long moment. You didn't want it badly enough, she says in a tortured whisper. I mean, did you ever really want to leave? Or were you just pretending for my sake? No, he wasn't pretending. Not about the mission or anything else. Maybe you're the reason we failed, she continues. You and your half-assed belief. That isn't fair. But like an old world god, Lorraine has never been about fairness. That last night cycle before their mission, Marco invited Lorraine to go swimming. But instead of heading to a public pool instance, he brought her to a park on a little spot on the map that wasn't designated a park at all. They had a glitch through a corner just to reach it. The area was unfinished, abandoned by the server admins. Maybe a park cost too much to fully render, creating more work for the outdated graphics engine. All the textures were flat and monochromatic. The grass looked like a dirty tennis court, while the blue sky held up a blurry white mist meant to represent clouds. Everything was unnaturally still. I thought you said you were going swimming, Lorraine asked, her smile hesitant. They were, he said. Watch, he said. Marco climbed on one of the blocky hedges, pausing just a moment at the top to look back at Lorraine before jumping off. The air caught him like water. He floated rather than fell, and in order to move around in any direction, he had to kick his arms and legs. Lorraine gave a polite laugh, but did not immediately move to join him. Breaststroking past her, Marco joked that she should come in. The air was fine. But Lorraine just said, That's cute, Marco. Is that what you wanted to show me? A glitch? Maybe. Or maybe he'd wanted to show her that it wasn't all that bad here. That if she stopped looking at the errors and annoying bugs, and started appreciating them as quirky features, she could find some measure of joy. But apparently happiness isn't as easy to grasp for some as it is for others. It's late, Marco, Lorraine said after a few more minutes. He knew she wanted to get back to review the plan with him and the rest of their kicker chapter one last time. Marco lowered himself back to the ground. He took Lorraine's hand gently. Her smooth skin stressed realistically over the bones of her knuckles, as warm and real as anything else in their program. When Marco finally receives a personal invite from the judge, the guards decide to take him through a totally unnecessary perp walk instead of merely allowing Marco to fast travel to the judge's office. In time, he supposes, old behaviors like this will fall away. All these disguises to hide the unreality. But for now, they still serve a function. The appearance of life is life. Marco must have heard that somewhere. Lorraine lashes out at him as he passes her cell. You were just as involved. You're a part of this, Marco. Whatever happens to me happens to you. Her harsh words burst against Marco like machine fire, and he can barely make eye contact with her. She looks so tired and so afraid. One of the guards smacks the cell bars with his truncheon, inches from Lorraine's fingers. He can't hurt her, but the instinct to flinch from danger is hardwired into every client, another relic from the world of euphoric gasoline. Lorraine startles back away. Might think about being nicer to your boyfriend, the guard tells her. This could be the last time you ever see him. Good riddance, Lorraine says. She doesn't mean it, but still, it hurts him. Later, Marco imagines it will hurt her too, but for now the words hang between them like a noose. Another small death. 
Once they're alone, Marco asks the guard what will happen to Lorraine and the others. Depends, the guard says. On what? Judge chose one of the progressives don't believe in deletion. Show enough remorse and she'll be merciful. Fat chance of that happening with Lorraine. Marco's curious what mercy looks like in the face of inarguable treason. After all, they'd done the unthinkable. Tried to kick everyone from the server back in the real world. Which, if the authorities were to be believed, constituted an attempt at mass murder, since there was nowhere for their living minds to go. But Lorraine has never bought the official story that everyone's bodies were disposed of after their consciousnesses were transferred. She believes every client has a physical analog on the outside, and they're all being kept in stasis until the planet eventually recovers, now that the strain of their species has been removed. Of course, Lorraine has also criticized the fatal climate predictions as alarmist propaganda. Only now does Marco wonder how she reconciles the two contradicting facts, missing such a fatal disconnect. Look, pal, the guard says, I'm probably not supposed to say anything, but you seem like a nice guy. You haven't given me any grief, unlike some of your friends back there. Let me give you a little piece of advice. Grovel. Grovel like a mother... The censors kick in, but Marco takes the meaning. Chose the one who sends the invites, and she's only sent one. Get it? She's the one you've got to please now. He's right about that. No one else has been asked to testify that Marco knows of. The fact Judge Cho wants to hear his side bodes well for him, and badly for Lorraine. He expects they'll try to use him, but Marco isn't the fool he was two months ago, two weeks ago, or even two days ago. Still, he isn't sure what he'll tell the judge if she asks him if he's sorry. He is, of course, but not for himself. Marco knows he's been misled. The revelation of his gullibility sticks to him darkly, like a residue of sweat. It almost feels as if he never had a choice. Even so, Marco feels the most sorry for Lorraine. She carries the knowledge of what she's done inside her like a sore, and already she's begun to fester. The judge will smell the guilt on her, and Marco knows what will happen next. No point in keeping the lights on for the ghost server otherwise. Judge Cho lets Marco get settled before informing him that the lesion is off the table, just like the guard said. However, Cho says from behind a large black deck, a crime was committed, and I intend to see the perpetrators punished. We are prepared to label Lorraine Catesby as the chief architect in all of this. All we lack is the right witness to testify to her participation. The law is very strict on this point. No client may be cloned to a closed server unless they've been rated criminally low by a jury of their peers, and at least one relative or close friend has accused them of seditious acts. She says cloned, but Marco knows what she really means is deadlocked to a closed server no longer maintained by an administrator, the ghost server. Most banished to the ghost server go mad within a year, unable to take the loneliness. He's once heard rumors about adding artificial companions to the server as a matter of ethical consideration, but he never learned whether they actually implemented the scheme. Even if that were the case, Lorraine wouldn't survive more than a month with only computer-generated people surrounding her. She would see right through them, and their phony friendliness would destroy her. Unless I'm mistaken, I believe you qualify as Miss Catesby's lover, Judge Cho continues, leaning forward. In exchange for your testimony, the prosecution has informed me they would be willing to clone you both to the same server. Marco sits up. This is an unexpected offer. He's not sure what to say. You don't need to make up your mind right this instant, 
Judge Cho says. Take some time and... Marco holds up his hand, the same way his father had that day after purchasing a hangover, hunched over the toilet they never used, desperate to remember some lost feeling. Knowing what he's about to say, Marco feels a little sick himself, but it's all in his head. And that's good, because it means one day the pain of it will be forgotten. Judge Cho allows him to speak for two minutes, uninterrupted. Marco's chat box fills the space in front of the deck from floor to ceiling, his dialogue cycling quickly. When Marco's finished, the judge sinks back against her cushioned office chair, steepling her fingers in front of her mouth. She'll die, Cho says quietly. You understand that, don't you? Even if she had a body, and let me be clear, she does not, nor do you. There's no world for her to go back to. The land is dead, the air toxic. The admins tell me that even dogs have turned back into wolves. So Marco is heard. Not the part about the wolves, but everything else. Yet Lorraine believes otherwise, and she will never live in peace if that belief endures. It will be a mercy for her to know for sure, one way or another. Mercy. Cho shakes her head. Just so I understand, in return for giving Miss Catesby the option of leaving, you will testify and take the traditional life sentence. Sixty-five years in a closed server. There will be no appeals, no possibility for early release. You will live alone all that time. Marco gives a short nod. Judge Cho massages her brow, as if the whole matter is giving her a headache. Marco wonders what that must feel like. Why, she asks, I doubt Miss Catesby would do the same for you. Marco has only one answer. It isn't a very good one, but it's the only one he has. I understand, Judge Cho says sadly, and I appreciate your honesty. Perhaps one day we will all move beyond the tyranny of such emotion. Lorraine doesn't contest the guilty verdict, but prepares for her release with a lively spirit Marco hasn't seen since the moment right before their plan fell apart. Their last night together in prison, he listens to her singing on the other side of the wall, a song about the moon. Even when her bed glitches and gets stuck in the wall, Lorraine only laughs. These things must seem quaint to her now that she has storms and the smell of gasoline to look forward to. Marco, are you awake? Like he would submit to sleep and risk missing a single second of her hymnal voice. In the morning they will take her away, and Marco will never see her again. He needs this memory to bring him through the next 65 years, longer if his mind remains intact. I know you made this happen, Lorraine says. I don't know how, but thank you. Panic grips him. Lorraine is going to die. Lorraine is wrong, and she's going to die, and it's going to be his fault. What if he's made a mistake? What if life on the ghost server isn't so bad? At least they'll have one another. It's probably pointless to ask this of you, but try not to worry, Lorraine says. He starts to respond. She cuts him off. No, Marco, listen. Somewhere along the way, you lost faith in the mission, in me. I understand. Sometimes the dream is too big, and the more time goes on, the more impossible it seems. She trails off, picking up the thread farther down the line of her thoughts. I'm sorry you won't be coming with me. Part of Marco is sorry, too. He wanted to grow old with her in a world where that's even possible, where the gradual breakdown of cells determines longevity, not an annual subscription, where there are physical warning signs before you hit the trash. 
He takes a mandated breath, even though it isn't necessary. So much has been rendered obsolete in this place. Marco's always struggled with what to say around Lorraine, his words too scripted. But apparently he says the right thing, because a smile blooms in Lorraine's voice. Marco can picture it, bright as a mushroom cloud. I won't forget about you, she tells him. I'll free you and the others from the outside as soon as I can. I'll prove all this wasn't for nothing. For a moment, her cheery optimism splits him from reason. He imagines her waking up beyond the simulation, pulling in her first real breath. I was right, she'll say, which is, in the end, all that matters, all that ever mattered, Lorraine being right. It isn't the darkness that defeats him. The ghost server is a dead black screen, but Marco has never been afraid of the dark. Whenever he grows desperate for visual feedback, he holds his hands in front of his face or stares down at his legs. Compared to his surroundings, his body is bright, almost effervescent with color and texture. Sometimes he wriggles his fingers just for the satisfaction of seeing movement, watching them move like polyps in a darkling sea. It isn't the silence either, occasionally punctuated by the voices of strangers trapped in different instances on the server, calling out for each other, bodiless whispers approaching him from every direction. It's not the emptiness, being draped in so much heavy space. It's the boredom. There's nothing to do, nothing at all, and Marco doesn't sleep, cannot sleep, which gives him even more time in which to do nothing. Without day or night cycles, without a clock, he has no way of tracking the passage of time. Even if he could, he probably wouldn't. He's going to be here for a good long while. Best not to think about it. But he does think of Lorraine. He can't help it. The memory of her smile lodges in his throat like a sideways knife. Maybe the ghost server will finally pull her out of him, but Marco doubts it. She's in too deep, and in his weaker moments, at his most miserable, he wishes they had never met. Then none of this would have happened. Or it would have happened to someone else, some other fool, which is just the same as it not happening at all. When there are no voices, no whispers in the long dark, Marco speaks to remind his ears of sound. He tells himself stories, drawing heavily from the past. Unlike the rain, he's not clever enough to engineer something new, even here, where creation would be so easy against such a blank canvas. Sometimes in these retellings, he lies, pivoting on a single detail. Often he gives himself and the rain a happy ending. Happier, anyway. Lying is the best form of storytelling, because it requires no suspension of disbelief. It is simply the truth from a different angle. Marco learns very quickly that he is a good liar. There is only now... Marco lies, tells himself this is the first now he has experienced, and that there will be no more nows later, where he is trapped and alone in the dark. And now. And now. And now. Millions of nows passed before one separates from the rest. Then, light. An old woman with flat gray curls and scratches on her face crouches in front of him. Strange given how few people choose skins older than 30 years. Youth is a staple on the servers, even the outdated ones. And why does she have to crouch to speak to him? Is he kneeling on the floor? Did he trip and fall? How is that possible? Finally, the old woman breathes. That single word hangs in the silence like an end of a prayer. She laughs and it cuts him, because he knows that laugh, that smile.
Marco tries to speak, but no chat box pops open. Somehow, she still knows what he said. I told you I wouldn't forget about you, Lorraine says. Does that mean Marco is on the outside? Is this the real world she was so excited about? Where are the babies? The storms? All he sees is an empty garage, or maybe some kind of laboratory, as old and ruined as Lorraine. It took me a while to find you. The system is more complex than... Anyway, it doesn't matter. I'm so glad to see you. His vision is strange, like he's staring at her through the fisheye lens of a peephole. Marco tries rubbing his eyes, but finds he can't. He has no hands. No body, for that matter. Something is very wrong. How are you, Marco? she asks. Like it's a question he is at all qualified to answer. I'm sorry, she says. It's the first time she's ever apologized, and it only increases the feeling of time between them. So much about her is different. It's not even the wrinkles or the stoop in her shoulders. This world altered her in other ways. Maybe that's what she was always after. Change. Not the kind you put in a request with the admins for, switching your hair from red to blue, or making you like tacos. Lorraine once spoke about earthquakes as this lawless force of nature that tore down buildings and reshaped the land, and it had colonized his brain for weeks because he couldn't understand how something so destructive could create something new. I know all of this must seem very confusing, she continues softly, in a stranger's voice. I'm going to explain everything, Marco, but you have to promise not to be angry with me. It would break my heart if you were angry with me. Marco just wants answers. He promises, whatever the truth, he won't be angry. All right, Lorraine says. I was wrong about a lot of things, but chiefly you. I can't free you, Marco, because you don't exist like I do. You're a program. You were never real. But Lorraine is. Yes, my family paid to have our bodies preserved just in case life on the servers didn't turn out the way we'd hoped. My parents couldn't have foreseen the internal politics that got us downgraded, or that we would be locked out of returning, even if we wanted to. We, she says. But no one else in Lorraine's family resorted to such drastic efforts. It's possible no one else in her family wanted to get free. Had Marco ever truly wanted to leave in the first place? Maybe Lorraine had been right before she had accused him of not wanting it badly enough. Marco could have been happy on his server, any server, but she killed any possibility of that with her stories. What happens now? Marco's almost afraid to ask. Two options, she says, holding up the same amount of fingers. Her nails are short and uneven, like she's been clawing at something. I can try to put you into someone else's body, though I'm not sure that's even possible, or I can disconnect you. There's a third option. She can put him back where she found him, where she broke him, or maybe, just maybe, Cho will show enough mercy to let him stay. Lorraine snorts. Don't be an idiot. Cho will just shove you back in the ghost server. Marco is no thief and certainly no murderer. He won't steal someone else's body, not if there's a chance they might someday want it back. That leaves only one other option. Lorraine shakes her head, curls slapping the hollow of her cheeks. You let me go before. That was the right thing to do. It's what I wanted. But this isn't right. This can't be what you really want. How would she know? Lorraine has never asked him what he wants. Not once. 
Not ever. She never will. Because what he wants isn't half as important as what Lorraine wants. Anger draws him back into the dark, churning him like boiling water. He doesn't want to be here anymore, constantly reminded of everything he's not. At least in the ghost server, he can just be without judgment. Oh, no, you don't, Lorraine says, her fingers diving below his view. He can't tell what she's doing, but he knows her well enough to be afraid. You're not getting away that easy. He hears typing. Each keystroke echoes like a gunshot. You don't know what it's been like for me. I've been alone for years. I couldn't bring anyone else out, but now I've found you. The security for the ghost server isn't half that of a normal server. And I... Marco, stop fighting. Just listen. I'm going to find a way for us to be together in this world. You'll see. Everything will just be like it was before. But there is no such thing as before. Not for someone like Marco. There is only the next now. Now, as he spots the animal creep and through a gash in the wall. Lorraine is still talking. Her back to the outside. Now, as he recognizes the predator from a dream his parents once paid for, splurging for his birthday. He had visited the zoo. The wolf looked different then, with more fur and flesh. Maybe he's still dreaming. If he concentrates, he can almost conjure the smell of Lorraine's skin, a smell as exquisite as gasoline. The wolf smells her, too. It lifts its nose, scenting the air. Once, twice, and starts forward. In this world, Marco and Lorraine might have had children. He tries imagining it. Him cradling a child with bright red lashes and a small rosebud for lips. But all that he can picture is their hair, matted down by Lorraine's blood. I love you, Lorraine says, with a note of finality, of the last now that will truly ever, truly belong to him. Everything is settling into place, just how she likes it. You know that. Marco tells her what she wants to hear, what she believes were still true. He doesn't tell her about the wolf. And then there is darkness. Darkness for a long time. It is Judge Cho who shows up at the end of Marco's long sentence, arriving like an exclamation point with the exciting news of his release. You'll be transferred to a new server, of course, Cho explains. No one will know who you are or what you've done. It will be like none of this has ever happened. A fresh start. Why? I don't believe in eternal punishment. I think you've suffered enough. But she was right, Lorraine, about the outside world still existing, about there being bodies and storms, and and she was happy. Marco hadn't been sure if the judge knew Lorraine had visited him, but this confirms it. Was the world outside all she'd imagined it to be? Marco doesn't have an easy answer, only more questions. This is how Lorraine must have felt all the time, he thinks like a slow-motion explosion, constantly pulling apart by wonder. Is this how he will feel now, too? Before all the digital paperwork for the transfer is finalized, Marco is returned to his cell. The judge visits him there, one last time. It's easy, you know, she says, laying her hands on the bars, her expression sorrowful. Building prisons. Mines are the best cages there are. A pause, and in that brief silence, Marco hears regret. Before Lorraine, he isn't sure he would have. Good luck, Marco. I hope you find peace this time. The transfer happens instantaneously. Thank you, he's in the middle of saying. His own voice startles him. The words tumble from his mouth like rocks. 
hard, richly textured syllables, loud with character. Marco takes in a deep breath, and the air smells hot and sweet, just like he imagined it would. While he's standing in the middle of the sidewalk, passing stranger doubles back toward him. Hey. The woman begins with an apologetic smile. She has bright red hair, blue eyes. He searches her face, but there's no recognition there, not even the ghost of Lorraine. She doesn't know him. I hope this doesn't sound rude, but you look lost. Need some directions? It's not the same as asking him if he's okay, if this is what he wants. But maybe no one really ever gets that choice. I'm good, Marco says, squinting up through the heat at his new son. He can feel all the muscles of his face working toward a smile, and his feet already carrying him away. And there you go. Big thank you to Will and Haley. Thank you so much. Together, what a fantastic bit of work that was. Haley, thank you so much. Honestly, a great story. So that is the Starship's over. Yes, we're doot, doot, doot. Ever more into the kind of realms of deep space. Look after yourselves. Until next week, just like to say, good night from me. Thank you for listening. I'll get out there by and by I'll get out